Sim Ayers. Uh, all right, to be real, my name is Devlin Baldwin. I'm an alcoholic. It's Friday, July 2nd, 2018. Um, I have a home group and a sponsor, and I do my best to read the book with as many guys as I possibly can. Um, I, if, if nothing else comes out tonight, I just want you guys to know that I love my life today, and it's all a result of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps, and a God that I can't explain to you in words. Um, you know, if, every time that I try to explain God into words, I feel like it falls short. Um, for me, it's just, if I can, if I can try to sum it up, it's, it's, it's this love that's underlying everything. Um, and I'm connected to it and I take actions today so I can stay connected to it. Um, if I had known that I'd be wearing a wig and a coat um, with five years of sobriety, having just turned 27 years old, uh, when I, if I had known that on day one, uh, I would have ran for the hills. Um, but this is the very thing that gives me peace and freedom in my life today. And um, so whenever someone asks me to do something in Alcoholics Anonymous, to the very best of my ability, I try to say yes. Um, and if I make a commitment to something, uh, I try to show up for that commitment. And uh, if I have that commitment and I can't show up to it, I try to reach out to somebody that might be able to slide through and do it. Um, I do not do this thing perfectly. I do not react to things perfectly. I don't say things perfectly. I don't have a very great track record as far as employment goes. Um, you know, my relationships up until the one that I'm currently in have been pretty disastrous. Um, but I've, I've come to know that, and this is something that's been on my heart lately. Like I made it out of a way of life that many, many people don't get to make it out from, or they stay stuck in it their entire lives. And everything on top of that is a bonus. Um, I came in here with a lot of fear and anger and, uh, I was just shaking up. Um, give you a little bit of my backstory. I have like so much time to talk right now. It's kind of daunting. Um, started drinking and, and doing illicits when I was 12 years old. Um, I was exposed to a lot pretty young. Uh, you know, I had manipulated my way up until that point to get what I wanted or what I thought I needed. Um, and that was like getting my parents to let me not go to school anymore. Um, I spent a lot of time up in my house. I was quote unquote homeschool, but really what I was doing was just like sitting in my room and like using food as alcohol. Um, I was like 215 pounds by the time I was like 11 or 12 years old. Um, yeah, I was a, I was a messy kid. I was a juvenile delinquent. I was angry. I got arrested the first time when I was 12 for public intoxication and, and possession of marijuana. Um, and so what I did, you know, and what I had seen was alcohol working for others in their lives and like giving them relief. Uh, and before, you know, before I got to that point, um, I had a really hard time in school. 
I was always either the teacher's pet or the class clown. Um, I was bullied, so I became the bully. Uh, I would either be like sung high praises of by the teachers and the students around me or sent to the principal's office like every single day. Um, I never found a way to where I felt like I was where I needed to be. So I just did what I could in my power to get to that point where I just could stay home. And uh, I had a death in the family around that time. It was my grandmother and she was like the light of my life. She was like the first person that I came into contact with that lived an unconventional way of life that I could see very clearly. Um, and that's what I wanted, you know, to have peace to be myself because I've never been whatever so-called normal is. Um, and when she passed away, you know, it shattered the family kind of, uh, my mom was a mess, you know, she's one of us and she found her way, uh, through that. Um, my, my sister, you know, she's got her stuff going on and she had a lot of friends at the time that were, uh, you know, partying a lot. That was her release from self, I guess, if I can look at it from like terms of AA talk now, like that, she found her release from self. And I saw that working in others. And so what I did was I got my hands on the, uh, on the first, you know, I was, I was in school still. And I approached the first kid that I knew that had weed. And I was like, this is what we're going to do now. Um, and I followed that with, with all, all of my energy. Um, anything else was like secondary. Um, and once I had that, you know, I, I had that experience the first time getting high, the first few times getting drunk where I, I had relief for the first time where I felt like I could, I could just take a deep breath for the first time. Um, and that continued forward. And what I've, I've learned through this is, is this is a progressive illness and it takes us before we know it's taking us. Um, and it will lead us on to our inevitable end if we don't, if we don't get some help. Um, and so I led on with that, kept piling it on. And then I, um, you know, I found an interest in music. Can I take this wig off now? <laughs> it's, really on my head. it's really distracting. Uh. <laughs> I don't have hair. This man's got a great head of hair. That left. That's gone. Um, it's it's really funny because I saw a speaker like speak about a year ago, and I used to have long hair, and he was talking about having long hair, and that like he got sober and all his hair fell out, but his life got better, and that's exactly been my experience. <laughs> it's all gone. Um, I see some bald man in the room. Shout out to all the other Tims, by the way. That's very cool. <laughs> I'm sure this is a very loved man. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, I found a release from self, like I said, in playing music and, and having a community of other delinquent misfit children that were running around going to concerts and getting in the mosh pit. Like that was my family for the first time. I found a community that like really like had a common interest and a common love and like shared that love with each other. And that's what I, I chased. And um, it, it really, like, it affected me to a point of where, like, the drinking, like, became less. Like, I still did it, but it wasn't so extreme because I didn't do it to, like, 
destroy myself and destruct myself. I knew I was doing that before I met these kids. And then it was it when we had something to focus on and something to chase, which was like a creative outlet, a positive outlet that gave us like a mind change that gave us some joy and some freedom. Like that's what I chased until I started playing in bands and playing in bars, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. We're getting paid in drugs and alcohol, you know, like we're paying like bar venues, like local bands. There's no money to be made, but there is free booze because it's at a bar. And the guy's like, we can't pay you tonight, but here's a six pack or here's a 12 pack. Here's a bucket of beers or some or some whatever. Um, And so this thing that I had, which was music, this creative outlet, as it continued to progress into like some level of like higher and higher success also became my excuse to drink the way that I needed to drink. And it got to a point where I had just, and we're skipping way forward because uh, I want to get into solution out of the drunk log. Um, I was about 20 years old when I moved out of my parents' house into this squat apartment in Culver city, uh, missing floorboards, you know, different colors of coats of paint and graffiti all over the walls. Like we didn't really have windows. They were just kind of boarded up. And I lived on a mattress on the floor in the living room uh, for like between, it depended on the month, but it was like between 300 and like 450 bucks a month. Um, And for the first time in that environment, like me walking, if I tried to walk into an apartment like that and tour it right now, I'd run for the hills and like probably like, if anyone else was going to go tour it, tell them like, this is a bad situation. Probably shouldn't be walking over there. Um, but for me at the time, I was like, my outsides are matching my insides. Like I was like, this is going to be my space for me to do what I know is going to help me. And it's going to save me from myself. And that's just get drunk and high all the time. Um, so as soon as I moved into that spot, I was, I was in this like safe haven for destruction and the roommates introduced i'm gonna talk about drugs um they introduced cocaine into my life you know i tried it one time but this was like they were doing it on like weeknights from like 10 p.m to like five in the morning and they were still getting up and going to work and i was like this is gonna be this is like how i'm gonna go like super saiyan on on life um, <laughs> It's so funny because there were so many times where I was using cocaine where I felt like I was reaching that level and like about to burst, but I get stuck there. And then it's like 6 a.m. and the birds are chirping and I'm like staring at my wall. And I'm like, I need to lie down, but I'm not going to lie down. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so gross. Like, I was so miserable looking back at it now. I'm like, I can kind of laugh about it because I, I, I love I, I love getting to tell my story. Um I like to hear myself talk. I think we all do. Uh, that progressed, right? And and it enabled me to drink heavily, heavily. Like alcohol is is my is my day one and, and my and my end all be all when it comes to active alcoholism. Um, it enabled me to continue drinking like all night and into the next day and have like breakfast beers and shower beers and during the day beers and all the time beers and vodka and whiskey and in my room by myself thinking I'm partying but really I'm just with self um 
So my band got like offered our first West Coast tour at like 20 years old. And the six months leading up to that point, I was uh, the blackouts were more consistent and more destructive. Like I was kicking over coolers at people's parties and like confronting the police when police were shutting down the parties and jumping over walls and like destroying patio heaters. And like the list goes on and on, you know, you catch my drift. Like I, I, I was a vandal and a violent person. And also a very sad, like, crier in the car and throwing up on your seats type of drunk. Um, and, yeah, so I, I that six-month period was like, hey, we have this tour coming up. Why are you such a mess? I'm like, I don't know. Um, but I promise once we head out on the road to, to kind of clean up my act and, and get my thing together because – you know, guys, we got this purpose to serve and I really love what we're doing. And I, I, I really want you guys to know, like, I'm going to do my best to keep it, keep it under control. Uh, please let me know if I start to get out of control and look like I asked people that I saw as slightly more responsible than me to like keep an eye on me because I couldn't take full accountability for myself anymore. And for me at the time, my alcoholic life seemed the only normal one, right? So like that for me was normal behavior at the time. Looking at it now, that was full-blown denial and alcoholism. And inevitably, we jumped out on this tour. And the first night, we're, we roll out of L.A. and we go into Bakersfield, of all places. Very special, safe, nice town to just be out in the street in the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> Someone, someone offered me blow and, and the, the tour was supposed to be about music immediately became about me destroying myself drinking and, and doing drugs um, and by the end of that I was in a motel room by myself in Portland um, hoping to die really like I, I asked them to leave me out on the street that night and let me die because that's where I was at and one friend was coddling me and he was like, you're such a good guy. It's going to be okay. I was like, fuck you, man. And the other guy looked me straight in the eye. I had a moment of clarity and I wasn't drunk anymore in that moment. He looked at me. He was like, I'm done with you. And uh, I looked him back in the eyes and I remember this and it sobered me up until right before I passed out in that moment. I was like, thank you. And that's the last thing I remember that night. Um, I booked myself a flight from that motel as all these guys we're jumping on into the van to head back to LA. I jump. I booked myself a flight to Fresno because um, that's, you know, Bakersfield and Fresno and towns and safe places by myself. Um, that's where I went. And my buddies picked me up and uh, I got two tall cans um, and tried to drink them down. And the voice of what I call a power greater than myself that, that began to restore me to sanity told me, that I was an alcoholic, I was an addict, and I was going to die if I didn't go get some help. So I better go get some help because I'm about to go on tour again in a few weeks. Um, I got back to LA. I got back to LA, uh, and I looked myself in the mirror in this purple bathroom that we had in this squat in Culver City, and uh, I didn't recognize myself anymore. And um, so it hits me every time I like picture it. Um, I looked at myself dead in the eyes and I said, the party's over. Uh, and then I tried to just smoke weed for a couple of weeks. That didn't work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Luckily I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous 
Um, cause I had friends and family that had recovered from that seemingly hopeless mind and body and told me their truth. And, um, I walked into a room in Santa Clarita into this meeting hall called the rafters and someone gave me a big book. I wrote my sobriety date. That's July 2nd of 2018. And it, he gave me his number and he told me to call him and I called him a few times. Um, but it was the meeting, the, the, that same day, that night at the Marina Center in Culver City at 11 p.m. late night where I heard a, a guy named Richie speak. And uh, he told this story. I don't remember anything he said, but I remember how I felt. I remember feeling safe in that environment and hearing a truth that I had in my heart my whole life that I hadn't heard anyone else talk the way that I heard him talk. And so I raised my hand. <clears throat> I was like, I'm Devlin, I'm an alcoholic, and I know I'm going to die. Um, and I need help. And uh, I knew I still had a stash in the car. Random, you know, paraphernalia and empty or slightly empty canisters of things and probably a couple of bottles. And uh, after that meeting, I had the big book in the car, and I, I grabbed all the pipes and all that stuff, and I threw it in a dumpster, and that's – I never – picked up or found it necessary to drink or use one day at a time since then. Uh, and that was that love, that immediate love that's available to us here. And that I've been able to like experience out in the world because of this thing. Um, and from that point, <coughs> uh, can I have some water? I'm sorry. <coughs> I'm getting choked up. I just started vaping again. It's not a good move. I, mean, <laughs> um, I had a nine-day window from that point before I was about to go get out on the road for six weeks around the U.S. Uh, I hit meetings every day in those nine days. Sometimes it was three. I remember going to that late-night meeting and uh, thinking about Waking up the next morning at like 5 a.m. in total paranoia and knowing I needed to get to another meeting. So I went to 6.45 a.m. old timer meeting. I was the youngest person there by like 100,000 years. <laughs> I felt safe in that room. I felt safe in the words that everybody was saying in those rooms. And I felt safe to talk about what was on my mind for the first time. And it's funny because there were a lot of people in my life before then that that knew how to love me, but didn't I didn't know how to feel that love. People that did their very best to try to protect me and guide me and my parents and my sisters and my friends like they loved me. I didn't know how to love them back. And that's what Alcoholics Anonymous has begun to teach me over these last five years is how to love regardless of the, of the circumstance. Um, so with that nine days, I like jumped in the van. I had the big book. I had my guitar player who was my Eskimo into, into this program. He had like a year at the time. And I had a girl I was talking to on Instagram because I needed a distraction. <laughs> she was there. 
Um, I have no idea where she is now. I've, I've had my moments in sobriety where I'm going crazy. I've tried to find her on the internet. I don't know where she is. I've tried other accounts. This was like, I'm not like this anymore, but like with a year, <laughs> but like with a year or two sober going crazy and like maybe put on the wrong like psych medications. Cause that's what I was looking out for when I was like, really could have just been deepening my connection with a higher power. Like I tried to find her anyway. Um, Throughout that tour, I was still sweating it out, still craving heavily, flipping through the pit, like the pages of the big book, hitting random men's sacks in like Illinois and Ohio that like were empty and scary, but I still went. Uh, we made it across to Baltimore and my buddy gave me, we didn't have chips, but he had this bracelet and it happened to be my 30 days and we were about to play in a basement. He was like, here's this bracelet. And I was like, I'm considering this my 30 day chip. And I was carried and guided by a power beyond me at the time that I didn't know how to conceptualize or talk about, but I knew it was there. And especially in hindsight, I knew it was there. Uh, I stood on that front porch in Baltimore. And I was like, dude, this is crazy. And then a few days later, we had a couple of days off uh, in New Jersey in Wildwood by the beach. And I had a spiritual, like a profound spiritual experience where I stood in the ocean and I looked up at the sky, I looked back at my buddy who was a fellow alcoholic. And uh, every time I talk about him, I, I cry because he's just my brother. Um, I was like, dude, like I made it across the country without any mind altering substances in my system. We talked about a spiritual experience. <clears throat> I've had those profound moments, and it's also been of the educational variety. Um, I've carried those first few days with me this whole time. Because I look at the level of desperation that I had then as a guiding force to bring into now. As long, Because my life has gotten a whole lot bigger and a whole lot better since then. And there have been moments or months or like even like there was like a whole year there for a bit where I was forgetting that, like I said in the beginning of this talk, everything on top of me not destroying myself with these substances and, and being set free is a bonus. Um, I can look back on those first few days and and know that I, I'm, I'm never alone and that I'm loved regardless of who it's coming from um, or the validation that I get from the pursuits that I have, like there's a power beyond me that has somehow been channeled through me through action that has kept me safe and, and on a track that I don't need to know the answers of, but a track that is meaningful and, and worth it today. Um, I got back from that trip to LA and I, I hit the ground running with the steps. That girl that I was talking to, uh, we got in a relationship very quickly. I had like maybe 60 or like 50 days when I got her to be my girlfriend. And then like a month or three weeks after that, she was up in San Francisco at college. She called me up and she broke up with me and I was devastated. And I threatened to relapse over her and she told me she hated me and she hung up the phone. 
And instead of getting loaded, I called my sponsor um, and this guy that I had met a couple of days before that, that reached his hand out to me and told me that, you know, just asked me, asked me really if, if I wanted to, to talk. And it's really just started with talks. That's all it was. Just a conversation. He told me his truth. And I told him some of mine. Um, I called him that night and he sat with me in his apartment till 4 a.m. And he was like, okay, she's gone now. This is where the work really begins. And uh, started working the book. Um, step one, I, I kind of knew deep down in my heart because I knew I was powerless and my life was unmanageable. I didn't really have anything going on because I was so young. Uh, I had like a $12 an hour job and like a band that wasn't really doing anything and a, a shitty apartment. So like there wasn't really much to manage anyway. <laughs> so I was okay with that. And I had already had that step two experience. And I was just ready. I was ready to turn it over. I was ready to surrender. And I like walked up the four step because that's what we do, right? Uh, we don't have to. That's something I want to talk about too. Um, is it into action or is this chapter five how it works? Where they talk about being convinced at step three, we launched on a course of rigorous action, something like that. Yeah. Tim knows. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, and in the beginning of that reading in chapter five, it's like that one is God, may you find him now. Like that's a prayer for whoever's reading it. Um, it means right now, like immediately, like let's do this thing because. If, if you're up against what I'm up against, it's fatal and it's fast. Um, but I got desperate enough and I was still trying to kind of talk to this one girl and like trying to like figure out another job and do all this stuff where like the sponsor was like, man, you're playing with a loaded gun, literally. Um, So I just got desperate enough. I got in enough pain through enough trial and error trying to figure out what was going on with me. Um, I sat in his apartment and I started writing my fourth step and it took me like four hours. <coughs> I got to quit the vape. That's bad. <laughs> All right. Um, then I told, I, I read in my five, started looking at, six and seven did a very quick six and seven it was like i did the hour i sat there for the hour and i i meditated deeply as deep as i could with four months of sobriety um and then i started writing amends and then that sponsor you know kind of stopped picking up the phone after a little while and then i got sicker and sicker mentally because i was kind of stuck in the middle of the steps like trying to get willing enough to start having these conversations with people and kind of made like half-assed amends where like I hadn't even gotten to like step eight yet and tried to like kind of get people back in my life before I even knew what I was doing like just a lot of sorries and not enough accountability um 
and I got in enough pain and that guy wasn't calling bless his heart. I don't know where he is right now. Um, I was like, I need to have a new experience. And, and luckily like God, and if I can talk about it more from my perspective currently, like it's infinite and this program has, has like endless possibilities for us to have new experiences and dive deeper. So I, I got a new sponsor. Um, and started back at step one because I had to fully concede in my innermost self that I was an alcoholic and I was in enough, I was in the amount of pain and up against the amount of danger that I knew in my heart when I had one day um, that still exists within me today. That's what I'm up against. And honestly, like it continues to progress. I think if left untreated, I think that my alcoholism lies dormant within me. Um, it's a monster that someone said this in a meeting the other night, like the monster lives inside the house. He's still in there. And, uh, I have to be willing to, to keep trudging this thing. Um, and so through that, I, I fully, I fully conceded and I, I fully became willing. And I, I, I did the steps and I made those men and I talked to my mom and I told her I loved her and, and, Not only did I have forgiveness for who she was, like I had a full understanding of the condition that she has. And so it's not coming from a place of I need to forgive her. It's I need to understand her so that I can know how to love her. And it's encapsulated in the St. Francis prayer where it's not about their reactions or what they do or, or how they behave or, or what they're bringing to whatever table I'm creating. It's about where I'm showing up and doing my best to be the best version of myself that I can be with the guidance of, of this power. Um, and I've continued to stay willing um, to not know the answers. Um, there's been a lot of things that have happened since I got sober. I mean, I've lost family members and friends to either, you know, um, there's been suicides, there's been cancer, there's been overdose, there's been accidents. Um, I've lost pretty much every job I've had, uh, to firing or walking out, uh, cause I have a lot of pride, um, and don't want to, do things their way I want to do things my way that's something I'm working through still um there's been all this stuff that's happened and uh like recently um I've dealt with like this injury in my back where I had to like ask to go on leave from the job that I had and uh they're like you have you can take five days off and if like you can't come back, like you're going to have to resign. And instead of me trying to fight back against that, I was just like, okay, this is what I got to do. I got to take care of my body. Um, so I don't have any money coming in right now. <laughs> um, that's okay. You know, people have taught me how to save up. People have taught me how to be like, frugal without like being selfish and greedy like i i've learned so much from other people's experiences and like 
have dropped my pride enough to be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Like, do you have any experience with this? And people are always willing to share it with me. And that's one of the most beautiful things about this too. Um, trying to remember what I was, I was trying to like build up and like get something going for this, this pitch. Cause it's like 45 minutes. So daunting. Uh, I was reading this morning after I meditated step three in the 12 and 12. Um, where it's like, we just need to have a little bit of willingness. Once I have just a shred of willingness, like it's more than I've ever had. When I'm willing to be like, I don't know what I'm doing, it's it's set me free time and time and time again. And the more that I've tried to fight back against that stream, the more I've bashed my head against a brick wall, waiting for it to become like like a pile of pillows. And it's never it's just gonna cause internal like brain damage and, and damage. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I have enough willingness today to just be like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know what I'm gonna say. I don't know like. My biggest prayer really for, for that, for the fears of like what I'm going to do is like, God, please relieve me of my fears and my obsessions and put me where I'm needed so I could be a maximum use to you and the people that are about me. And that works every single time. Like it's not like a 60% of the time. Like it's a, it's a hundred percent of the time. God relieves me of my fears and my obsessions. And I show up. I met my girlfriend's mom and her sister for the first time today. Stuff like that used to terrify me. And I was like, maybe a little bit nervous driving down here, but like, I know that like this program has taught me how to love without fear. So like, if I love her or if I love, like, this is one example. Like if I love her, like, I don't care. Like if I say the wrong thing at the, at the lunch table, dude, like it's cool. And it ended up being great. Um, I'm continuously given opportunities to be of service and the more that I say yes like the more like the more inner contentment that I have you talk about a life beyond our wildest dreams and Alcoholics Anonymous dude it's like it's not about like yeah I still play in bands I've traveled around the world in sobriety it's not about like accolades like it's about like living in the fucking moment That was the life beyond my wildest dreams when I walked in here. I lived in the moment. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so, like, recently I've been able to cry again, and it's been this really, really <laughs> thing. Like, <laughs> there was, like, a whole year, because I went through a really gnarly breakup, like, a year ago, and then, like, a few months after that, I was like, I'm blocked emotionally. Um, <laughs> And it wasn't until like all this stuff started happening. I got my truck broken into like two nights ago and like a thousand dollars worth of music equipment stolen from me. And like my reaction like was a whole lot calmer than it like I would have assumed it would have been if something like that were even happen. Like I was just like, yeah, uh, fuck, okay. <laughs> so I've been given that pause, dude. Like I need to be like, well, this happens to a lot of people. I probably should have taken that stuff out of the truck. God will take care of it. And uh, I'll talk about my experience last night because this was like leading up to this show that my current project played. 
with people that like we really admire and respect and like want to work with like we showed up to that and like we were running through like conflict with the bandmates and stuff like that and and you know like equipment issues obviously because my stuff got stolen uh my buddy who's my best friend who is my eskimo into this program uh we play in a band together again and uh he's the best guitar player that i know and he built me another system that i could use last night and it sounded great we played i think the best we've ever played and i was there in that moment like with full joy and full release from self like it was all about like me and my brother and my best friends on stage and everyone there just like connected like living right now may he like when it says like may you find him now like it's right now in this present moment i stand here and just be like dude my life is so amazing and it's quiet even when it's loud it used to be so loud when it was silent it used to be so loud in my head all the time constantly a hundred percent of the time sometimes it gets loud now but i have tools and I can face things head on, I can live life, and I can absolutely insist that I do enjoy my life, and my life is actually really dope, and I do dope shit, it's cool. Um, thanks. Um, but all those, all those things would mean nothing and would have never happened anyway if it wasn't for the fact that I prioritize the fuck out of AA. I put this thing before everything else. I go to meetings all the time. Um, I call my sponsor regularly. I meditated this morning. I read some stuff. I prayed in the car before I, I met my girlfriend's mom. You know, like it. I, I listen to speaker tapes on like on like constant. Like I don't really watch TV or like listen to podcasts. Like most of the time, like I'm going to bed with with like Sandy Beach or like Joe and Charlie or like whoever. Like the list goes on and on. I, I I'm a big fan of Chuck C. Like this these because these voices tell the truth in a way that like no one else out there, no podcaster bro is going to be like, Hey, like you ever get stuck in self? <laughs> <laughs> Bye blue chew. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really grateful, man. Um, That first part, I'm on sponsor number six right now, and I'm a member of the Pacific Group, and it's kind of crazy. I never thought that I would do that, but it's, it's been a really good experience for me. Um, but this prayer, and I kind of want to leave it with this because I don't, I don't want to keep rambling on. Like, if you're new, um, also congratulations to all the new guys, the chip takers, and the birthday. Like, if it's amazing, please keep coming back because Alcoholics Anonymous needs you. I know that you may feel like you don't need to be here, and I don't really care because we need you guys. Um, and uh, the prayer is set aside prayer and it's, it's got, and simply put, um, cause there's different iterations of it, but really what it boils down to is God, please help me set aside everything. I think I know about everything to have an open mind for new experience. Thanks. That's it. All right, how about another round of applause for Devlin? Um, a fellow alcoholic has been asked to come up and read.